Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. With this, I can now discuss a few patterns of um, changes in ECGs. Here's another ECG that I picked up from um, Life in the Fast Lane. Um, excellent website. So remember that I mentioned the PR interval should be 0.12 to 0.2 seconds. And once again, remember that five of these giant squares, uh, bigger boxes with the um, darker lining at the boundaries, represents one second. That means essentially one of these small boxes is equivalent to 0.2 seconds. So essentially the PR interval should be less than um, one entire big box or five of the smaller, so-called smaller boxes. As you can see in this in this ECG, that's certainly not the case. The beginning of the P is over here. So that's two, three, four, five. That's six squares long, so it's about 0.24 seconds long. This is an example of first-degree heart block, um, which I promise we'll talk about in the arrhythmias uh, episode. It's a very big chapter in by itself. Um, it can be divided into two or three different episodes. That's why I do not want to go into too much detail, but uh, I just wanted to sort of show you that pattern. Now, something that I did uh, forget to mention in that previous one is that um, in that case, there was a P wave before every QRS wave. And because the QRS interval is lengthened, remember that that represents the period after the atria are contracting uh, from the passage of the electrical activity from the atria, from sinoatrial node into the atrioventricular node and then uh, all the intermediaries between. So if you do see a pattern like that where the PR interval is increased, that suggests that there's a, a problem in conduction from the sinoatrial node downwards. In contrast, if you look at this ECG, you can see that there's a P wave over here and the P wave over here and a P wave over here and you can see a reasonably regular uh, rhythm. But then somewhere along the lines as you go after this third beat, there's no P wave, it just disappears. So the ventricle which has its own intrinsic pacemaker activity takes over and you can see there's no atrial contraction but you have ventricular contraction and then over here there's a T wave straight followed by another peak um, which could be a P wave and then if you come back down over here once again the P wave is back and then once again over here and then on the third one it decides that it's not contracting so you have a longer length in this between the two heartbeats and you also have this P wave that comes after this T wave down over here now what's the difference between this section and say this one in this case because of the refractory period of the ventricles during contraction this P wave does not necessarily uh, grant a ventricle, ventricular contraction, whereas in this case it did. Uh, what does this symbolify? That um, there was a failure of generation and action potential at the uh, region of the beginning of the P wave, which is the sinoatrial node. So an ECG like this suggests to me that there's a dysfunction in the sinoatrial node, so in terms of electrical activity generation. Uh, once again, hopefully we'll talk about this. Uh, in the episode on arrhythmias. And then we mentioned the morphology of the P waves. Have a look over here. So in the next, uh, when we were talking about the presence of the P waves, we mentioned that um, it's important to talk about the morphology of the P wave. Have a look at the size of these P waves. It's quite large, isn't it? Um, compared to the to this, uh, the entire Q, uh, QRS segment, which is normally a lot bigger. So essentially what we have over here is a peak P wave, and that symbolifies that there's increased um, activity in the in the atria. 
This could be because of um, uh, hypertrophy of the muscle inside of the uh, inside of the atria, because normally the the atria would contribute a very small percentage to in terms of electrical activity and uh, in terms of ventricular filling. It's about 15% from memory. In that case, that was a right atria. How do we know that? Because this one is left atrial, left atrial enlargement. Um, and you can look over here that the P wave, as I mentioned, has now become dichrotic and has a split in the middle. That symbolifies that right and left are now sort of separated uh, in time. And now just for the purposes of uh, demonstration, the reason why we look for P waves at the start of the entire uh, process is if you look closely over here, there is no P wave, that's a T wave. And you can just see these squiggles of lines, a QRS, a T wave, no P wave, another QRS with a T, no P wave to be seen. There's no P wave over here. And then just to make sure you look at P waves and other leads as well. So there's nothing over here, nothing, nothing, nothing 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 and essentially what this means is that there's either no atrial activity or sinoatrial activity or it could mean that this is a condition called atrial fibrillation which once again we will talk about in the uh, arrhythmias episode as you can see there actually is some form of atrial activity these little tiny squiggles is the atria sort of fibrillating and, and vibrating uh, in position some of these uh, because here the atria, some of the electric activity in these atria conduct to the ventricles and then you get a ventricular contraction. But because the atria are sort of contracting in a very haphazard manner, um, there's no regularity in terms of how many electrical activities uh, get transferred from the atria to the ventricles. As a result, you can see that the atrial, the electrical activity over here is very irregular. It's described as irregularly irregular. And that's characteristic of atrial fibrillation. Um, you can see this one's a bit small and it becomes bigger and then medium and then a bit large again. It's very all over the place. That's atrial fibrillation. And that's why we look for it uh, when we're looking at an ECG for the first time. If you look at the look at this ECG, which once again I picked up from lifeinthefastlane.com, have a look at this P wave here. So the P wave, QRS, and the T wave. But somehow in between this, there's another, another dome shape electrical activity over here. Could that be a T wave with two different morphologies in one? Or alternatively, it could be an atria trying to contract while the ventricle is still depolarizing. How do we tell? It's followed very quickly by a QRS. So if this was indeed a T wave, if, if this entire complex was a T wave, then it wouldn't necessarily be followed by a Q wave straight after. As you can see, there's, there's another T wave and then here's some more atrial activity. Here's a P wave, QRS, the T, and then here's another atrial contraction, uh, atrial um, de depolarization, and then a QRS complex. We call this a premature atrial contraction. So essentially it couldn't wait in its line to for the, the entire process to unfold and it decided to um, contract uh, before anyways. That results in a quicker beat as you can see, it's taken only 0.4 seconds to contract, whereas normally it takes about a little more than 0.6. Similarly, here's your P wave, QRS, T, and then before the P wave can um, come over and start the whole process again, you see there's this QRS wave that's taken over and contracted well before um, the P wave 
uh, could get a chance to do that. This is followed by P-Wave and then QRS as it normally is. What this is, is a premature ventricular contraction. How do we know it's from the ventricle? For starts, there is no, uh, the QRS, remember that the QRS uh, does represent the ventricular contraction. And at the same time, if you look, it's broad complex, so it's just about on the border of, uh, oh, it's not on the border, but it's it's quite broad. It's more than the uh, the the three boxes that we talked about, uh, which is a 0.12 seconds, representing normal QRS um, complex length. And that symbolifies that uh, this premature contraction is from the ventricles. Here's another ECG. And this ECG is from someone with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which is where there's an accessory pathway, an accessory conduction pathway. So normally electric activity goes from the atria to the ventricle, and then somehow, somewhere, there's a different pathway that carries the same electrical activity down. And how do we, down to the ventricles, how do we um, identify this on an ECG? Remember that PR complexes should be about 0.12 to 0.2 seconds. And if you look closely over here, it's a lot less than that. So this is close to three boxes. This is um, on the border of uh, a very short PR interval. Three boxes equivalent to 0.12 seconds. What this suggests is that the normal pathway uh, is extremely fast, which is very un unlikely because um, yeah, all, all the nerves sort of have uh, inherent speed at which they travel. But what it could also suggest is that there's another pathway that sort of takes a shortcut and reaches the ventricles before the normal one does. And that's why you get a premature contraction of the um, the ventricles. And that's an ex uh, that's Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. I'm not going to talk more into this, but uh, this is just an example of um, an accessory pathway that can be recognized on an ECG. The purpose of this ECG is to show um, this, what we call ST elevation. So one of the final steps we took when we were looking at it, uh, when we were reading out an ECG, is the presence of uh, the ST segment and if there's any elevation. As you can see, the ST segment, like I mentioned earlier, should be isoelectric. In this case, this ST segment has increased a little bit. This suggests that there's something abnormal over here. Now, in this particular ECG, there's ST uh, elevation in all leads. Uh, there's a bit of a depression, but, but there's some ST changes diffusely, and that's characteristic of this condition called pericarditis, which we will talk about in the future episodes. But um, this one was just for dem demonstration purposes, really. This could be normal, so there's some people who have a condition called, um, well, not a condition, but an ECG pattern called a high takeoff, which looks somewhat like this. And that can be completely normal. That is why we need to take the, all of this in consideration with the um, with the clinical picture. And that is why uh, when you're suspecting uh, ST elevated uh, myocardial infarction, so produces these these characteristic ST waves uh, elevations. And the reason why we don't diagnose it on ECG purity is because of these wide variations within normal people too. And, and that's why you also look at other situations like uh, the clinical profile and the presence of um, uh, troponin en enzymes in their blood. Now this ST elevation, ST elevation doesn't necessarily look like that. Uh, there are other morphologies too. Finally, in this ECG, 
um, this patient has what is known as left ventricular hypertrophy. So left ventricle is enlarged and has uh, demonstrates high activity. How do we know this is left ventricle? As you're moving from anterior to the lateral part of the chest, the R wave is negative. And as you move on, it starts to become positive. The reason why it's mainly negative is because the left ventricle uh, normally, because it's it's a thicker it, and, and contains a lot more electrical activity than the right ventricle, tends to sort of overshadow um, the, the right ventricular activity. In this case, you can see that there's uh, increased activity in, in, in all of this uh, diffusely. But why is this left ventricular hypertrophy? Because it shows signs of hypertrophy in V4 and V5, which is mainly positive, and that's suggestive that it's uh, more left ventricular hypertrophy uh, rather than right. In right ventricular hypertrophy, uh, V4 and V5 would start to come back to normal. Now, to diagnose left ventricular hypertrophy on um, ECG or sort of get the suggestion there's a there's what we call a left ventricular voltage criteria um, which suggests which says that uh, an R or an S wave that's greater than 25 millimeters um, in amplitude or an R plus an S wave together forming um, so this R and S uh, if it's greater than 35 millimeters that's also left ventricular hypertrophy However, this is not an infallible approach, and once again, the clinical picture is very important. So what's a takeaway uh, message of this massively, probably unnecessarily long episode? Uh, I guess I, I just wanted to sort of put out the, the different patterns that you see in ECG so that as we go on and discuss different uh, cardiac pathology uh, in sequence, uh, we can start following different patterns and look for and understand how Something that's going wrong in the heart can be seen on an electric um, trace uh, on the ECG. At the same time, the clinical picture is extremely, extremely important because there's so much variation in the uh, normal uh, ECG patterns. Thank you so much if you've um, reached this far. I'm sorry it was a bit too long. Um, if you do have any questions or you're unhappy with this episode, feel free to let me know. Maybe I'll do it again. Hope it helps and hope to see you next time. Thank you. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.